Garçon, coffee. Welcome to the Coffee and Death Sticks podcast. My name is Kevin Romani. And I am Danny Marchant. This week, we're going to be reviewing both The Last Duel and House of Gucci, but we're also going to be talking about Ridley Scott's filmography. And sadly, this conversation was brought up with the whole Will Smith, Chris Rock exchange when G.I. Jane took some residual fire during all of this. And G.I. Jane, which I think will be kind of a talking point of this, was directed by Sir Ridley Scott. Not maybe one of his better known movies, but we thought this would be a good time to look back on this filmography. Danny and I have been talking about doing this episode for a long time. Yeah. And I frankly did not get to The Last Duel or House of Gucci before the last film year had ended, but I have now seen both of them. So we will be reviewing both. To get us started, we're going to review The Last Duel first. Danny, what do you think about The Last Duel? I really like uh, The Last Duel, um, a movie that, as you mentioned on this podcast, seems to just be made specifically for Danny Marchant. It's a Ridley Scott-directed movie uh, set in the Middle Ages with a lot of good character actors and snow. So really... (laughs) It checks almost all of my boxes. Um, This is a movie that bombed, like not people exaggerating. Oh, it didn't make all the money. So therefore it's a disaster. It's it genuinely old fashioned, just bombed at the box. office. Um, Nobody saw it for a multitude of reasons. I think Um, many of them, which make perfect sense to me. I saw this movie at the Capitol Theater in Somerville with my brothers. Oh. All four of us uh, went to go see The Last Duel. All four of us are, are Ridley Scott stands. We love historical epics, movies like this. No one else was in the theater. Um, so it was just the four of us just watching this movie. And it has, um, it has a very uh, difficult subject matter for sure. Um, but it's also... It also is genuinely pretty funny intentionally at certain points. Mm -hmm. So um, it remains a a wonderful experience. Just the four of us sitting in the theater, uh, chuckling at all the ridiculous uh, medieval, (laughs) medieval attitudes and mindsets, and then really sort of enjoying and being uh, wrapped up in the power of the story and Jodie Comer's performance and just marveling at Ridley Scott is so he's known as, alien blade runner he's the sci-fi guy but he's so good at these historical these big historical movies um better probably than most living directors honestly in terms of being able to handle stuff on this scale and uh so yeah so i was almost guaranteed to like this movie but i really did like blinders off looking at it completely as objectively as you can with with a with a piece of art, I really, really like this movie. I think it's very good. It's a shame it basically landed with a thud, um, but I totally get why, and I I enjoyed it, and that's kind of all that matters to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are many variables as to why this failed. It came out like a sort of when COVID was starting to come back again. People were getting worried, like in the late or yeah, it came out like fall of last year. 
Um, but it has a two and a half hour runtime. It's with stars that have, are kind of on their their back end that people have seen plenty of times, and they've both been very active with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck of late. Um, it has the newer stars of Jodie Comer and Adam Driver, but they're not like movie stars per se. And yeah, and like the setting, a medieval epic, it's like that's just kind of box office poison nowadays. And I think something we'll kind of get to later is that while you and I see Ridley Scott and our, you know, antennas go up, especially you. And I think a lot of, you know, people who are really into film obviously recognize Ridley Scott's name, but I don't think he's a household name. I don't think he's a Spielberg or a Scorsese. So, you know, those two are are almost like movie stars themselves. And when they make something, usually there's some attention, although Spielberg had his own bomb this year. So yes, I think this is, this is like a perfect movie that we've been talking about throughout this podcast of like the death of these types of movies in cinema now because of them becoming a circus as speaking of Scorsese has said, but getting to this movie itself, this is a fantastic film. I would say it's one of my top three or five at worst favorite movies from last year. I wanted to see this, but even I admittedly, I, I think another another issue here was the marketing of this film was not yeah. what the movie was about, and we'll get to that. But I think if you marketed it about what the movie was about, then you'd probably ruin the experience too. So yes, that, yeah. it's kind of a catch twenty two. I think that I think if they marketed it for what it really was, it could have potentially helped, but then it wouldn't. You wouldn't have gotten that same viewing experience for the first time. Yeah, and it, I, I think for a, I think what happened was. There were a lot of people, I think, who went into this movie not knowing, knowing that this was obviously about some sort of combat in some, but not knowing what it was about. And I think a lot of people, a lot of viewers were kind of surprised when the, the major development in this movie, the, the heart of this movie occurs. Um, and I, I guess, I mean, ma- major spoilers for, for The Last Duel. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, content warning trigger warning all those all those all those <laughs> words and phrases this is a movie about a woman who is who is i mean she she's raped she's sexually assaulted and it's depicted twice and both times it's very intense and very upsetting and if you're sitting in this movie thinking it's just kind of like an old fashioned like chuck heston knights in shining armor movie with a little bit of grit like something like kingdom of heaven or, or gladiator mm-hmm. or any, you know, any of these movies. And all of a sudden that's happening on screen. I can see why you'd be completely like, Oh Jesus. Like, I wish I had known that's what this mo- was in this movie. I think a lot of people, not critics, but a lot of audience goers were, were, were kind of like taken aback by that. And again, do you, do you hype that up in the marketing? Like, how do you do that in a way that isn't sleazy or isn't sort of trying to, right make it seem like it's like a medieval exploitation film. But then you look at the trailers for this movie and you would be completely forgiven for, for having no idea that anything like that is in this movie. You you would think that maybe it's just about she was insulted. Like someone, someone was sort of rude to her and that's what the duel is over. I not, yeah, I don't, she's, she's attacked, you know, that she's violated. So I think that was shocking for some people. I think that's, and then if you, and if, as that spreads, 
do people want to go out in the middle of a pandemic and see that movie? Not the big right. medieval war epic, but the sort of Rashomon style three versions of like, do you want to go out and see that movie? And if you're a Ridley Scott fan, if you're a fan of these kinds of movies, if you want to see something that is not IPs and superheroes and all the stuff that we talk about on this podcast, it's a big budget movie for adults. Like it's meant for adults to go see it, not for, for kids. It's, you might not want to go out in the theater and see that just like you might not want to go out to see the new Spielberg musical when you can just wait when it's, you know, when it's on video on HBO max on HBO max. So I totally understand why it bombed. I don't think this is a movie that would have been a runaway box office smash in normal times. Like I don't think like COVID Mm -hmm. is the reason it didn't do well, but I think, I think a a combination of factors, like you said, movie stars aren't really a thing anymore unless you're Tom Cruise. So yes, everyone knows who these actors are, but that's not enough anymore. Uh, This isn't based on anything. It's based on a book, but, it's not a book that anyone's read. It's not like a massively popular, it's a nonfiction no. book. Um, it's a period piece. It's a medieval period piece. And right. uh, yeah. So of, of course it didn't do well. Ridley Scott blamed it on millennials and their fucking cell phones. <laughs> uh, I think millennials are the only people that saw this movie in theaters. So that's just kind of a funny, yeah. a funny criticism to make, but he's a grandpa as we'll get into <laughs> later in this podcast. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just think it's a shame that a movie like this can just kind of come and go and have no, no impact because yeah. um, it's a very good movie. Yeah. Uh, like you said, it has the, it uses the Rashomon storytelling style, which again, we know, I don't know how many people have seen, how many of you have seen 1950s Rashomon well, out there? I but, think people uh, know know that that's t- like uh, uh, they don't yeah, know that it's sure. that movie but they well know it's like you see the same event from different perspectives like and i was going to compare this to i i can't think of a bigger budget movie or a, or a hit movie that's done this somewhat recently but the show the affair on showtime yes has similar storytelling devices where especially it was very effective in the first season where it's essentially just you're seeing the same events through the two leads um so the male lead is, you know, when you see it through his eyes, it's very like everything that Ruth, Ruth Wilson's character does is like, like, I just want to have sex with you every second of every day. Yes. And then when you see Ruth Wilson's version, it's Dominic West. I couldn't think of his name. Yes. Then when you see Dominic West through her eyes, he's like a sleaze ball, and she, you know, he misinterprets everything she says. So it's like a, cla- it, you know, very similar to what this does, uh, just in a movie format. So it's not something that, yeah, like you said, I think that general storytelling device is maybe somewhat familiar to people, like a Groundhog Day type narrative, sure. that sort of thing, right? Um, but I think it, it's kind of a shame because it came from people who kind of needed something like this. Like I think Ridley Scott has, like you said, has said some stupid things and done some stupid things over the years. Ben Affleck has had a lot of potential me too type issues surrounding him. So it's funny that he not only is one of the screenwriters in this, but his character is guilty of some of the things that a lot of Hollywood sleazeballs have been guilty of. Yep. So it was a little, a little like we're kind of, uh, you know, breaking the fourth wall here at times. Um, but yeah, but it, it is kind of a shame because these three men now with the addition of a female screenwriter, however, yes. And that's where I wonder, um, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but she's written at Nook 
Is it Hall of Center? Center? Loaf Center? Hall of Center. Okay, so I think we're both thinking that. Yeah. She's written a couple great movies yes. in the last 10 years. So I, I, to me, I'm thinking Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wrote the screenplay, and then she did the rewrite. I could be wrong, but that's my suspicion since they've done things together before being Affleck and Damon. So they already have a writing connection. They probably came up with the script and said, you know what? Given this subject matter, we should bring in a woman to maybe give her set of eyes and, and give this a once over. So, yeah. which is smart. If they had the wherewithal to do that, um, you know, it's the bare minimum, but it makes <laughs> a lot of sense too. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, like you said, Ben Affleck's had his, is a frequent passenger of the struggle bus and Matt Damon yes. is incapable of speaking, uh, uh, without putting his foot in his mouth. So it's, yep. it's just, yeah, credit to them or credit to someone very, very close to them who they trust for saying uh, a, a woman should take a look at this script. I'm sure this was a movie that they've been kicking around for a while. Maybe I think I'm sure Ben Affleck was maybe going to be the other, the other duelist at one point. Um, but maybe as time has shifted, they find, you know, they kind of restructured and I think at one point Ben Affleck was going to play the King of France, not, um, the count mm -hmm. uh, that he plays. Uh, I think the people playing the parts as they are in the movie, as it exists today is, is perfect. Um, I agree. I, I think, yeah, I th and I think he's great in this too, actually. I, Affleck was awesome. Oh, his performance. This isn't a, but Ben Affleck movie. This is an, and Ben Affleck movie. He yeah. is, he yeah. is very good in this movie. This is probably, Honestly, this my brothers and I think this is his best role since Goodwill Hunting. Retainer. Retainer. And there's a meta quality where, of course, you want to like the Adam Driver character because everyone likes Adam Driver. Um, and so there's that aspect of as you're watching the movie, if you don't know what it's about, you might find yourself, oh, God, I hope he really is not. Yeah. The 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 monster that he actually is. Like he he's barely appealing yeah. his version of events. <laughs> and he's certainly not or, appealing in, yeah. in anyone else's. So yeah, it's yeah. it's again, it's a movie that's filled with it's a, the kind of movie where a bunch of adults go see it, it ends, and the adults talk about it. Not how it ties into other movies, not like what's the sequel gonna be. Just like let's talk about this movie and all the ideas in this movie. Um, and Jodie Comer, she should have been up. I mean, maybe I don't I have no idea if she was, but she wasn't nominated for any Oscars for this. No, one. no. It, this, is... I don't think the movie got a single nomination. And we'll talk about House of Gucci letter, later. But just between these two, this is definitely the superior film. Absolutely. And, and it got very ignored. So even though I joked at the start of this, I, I was annoyed by Regina Hall's joke because it's a very good movie. Because yeah. now this movie's become a punchline. Yes. And it's like, it's not that. Like, if, if this movie was just a by-the-books medieval period piece from Ridley Scott that didn't really do anything, I, I get that. But this movie is so much better than that. And that's why it, it, it actually does bother me that this is going to have, like, no cultural relevance at all. Because... It was a great film. Yes. Absolutely great film. And it's not just, it got every, so many reviews were like, oh, it's the medieval Me Too movie. Um, which of course, like, would this movie have been received in the same way or have been, have been made in a pre Me Too era, but it's not just the medieval Me Too movie. Like that's also kind of simplifying it and kind of pandering yes. almost like, 
yeah, no, this is a great movie. And uh, Jodie Comer gives like an incredible performance. Oh, yeah. And it's a shame that apparently no one saw it because she's like, she's, she's amazing in this movie. Um, it, and she gives, she gives three different performances. Yes. While maintaining like her character, the truth yeah. of the character more than any of the characters hers changes the most among these three different chapters like in the first one she's the doting wife who looks onto her husband and just you know worships the ground that he walks (laughs) on in the second version she is a temptress in a in a sort uh like an intelligent temptress i suppose right and then in the third she's a like are these people fucking serious yes like and she's she's the smartest person in the room but can't be the smartest person in the room. Like, so three different performances all throughout, but like you said, never losing her sense of like, there is some continuity among all three versions. Yes. But yeah. So all of them do this to a degree, of course, maybe except Ben Affleck's probably is kind of the most consistent through all the stories, but it's still a great performance. He's a debauched swine in all three versions. It's just, it's just a matter of, you know, in the Adam Driver one, he's a fun debauched swine. In the Matt Damon one, he's a vile debauched swine. And then the in the Jodie Comer one, he's just the distant, va- f- vaguely annoying debauched swine. Like that's his yeah. role. Just, just, just like inbred, <laughs> inbred evil, basically. Yeah, <laughs> I did love uh, the you know Matt Damon throughout this movie is so like loyal to <laughs> honor and chivalry and all that and it's like you know well who do you serve well i serve no it's ridiculous i don't serve him i serve the king and like he keeps for saying that and then you see the king and it's just some petulant child who just wants to watch play things happen it's like this whole thing is feudalism and that whole era is one of the more laughable time periods so it is it, and that's where i think the the intentional there's no unintentional humor in this movie. The intentional humor of yes. this movie comes in with acknowledging that these people genuinely did believe the things they believed. And that even with all of their ridiculous beliefs, people were still people. This idea that medieval people are a different species of human with a different understanding. Like, of course they had a different understanding of things, but they were still people. The Matt Damon character, uh, Jean, uh, Jean de Carouge is such a recognizable guy. Mm-hmm. That is like mm-hmm. that sort of yes, you're doing all the right things, but you know, to quote our favorite movie, you're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he just doesn't have the it factor. You know, exactly. he's just, he's missing something. Jacques yeah. agree. He's he's gorgeous. He's got this these lawn flowing locks, and he's so charming. But if you look just even a little closer there is a there is a predatory creepiness to him um mm-hmm. and the idea that before you know in the middle ages oh no women no w- women knew their place and they they wouldn't think twice about you know the the mountain of indignities that were thrust upon them no if they're going to be treated like this they're going to realize like i am being treated like shit right now and i frankly don't think that i have the time for it um and yeah so it's it's a great movie and it's just a shame that it's just doesn't exist basically yeah yeah exactly yeah it was a great script that had you know these two characters the adam driver character and the matt damon character both were people who had entitlement issues for different reasons and go about themselves in very different ways meanwhile 
Jodie Comer's character is just le- Marguerite. Was that her name? Marguerite, Marguerite. Yeah. Marguerite is just left to like having to deal with all of their bullshit. So yes, I can see like, uh, there were obvious me Too comparisons. Of course. Uh, there were a few moments that we talked about via text that were like, almost like look at the camera, wink, wink. Like Ben Affleck talks about not people not understanding the nuances of these things at one point <laughs> and that sort of thing. But you know, you, you give Ridley Scott a great script like this and a period piece where there is still time for some nice action set pieces. Um, this is like the perfect movie for him. I, I love him in this era and he, when he is given a good script, he can elevate it with the visuals and all of that. I loved seeing that, uh, is it Harry Gregson Williams? Harry he, Gregson Williams. Yes. Harry did the score for this and he's like been, in and out doing the scores for Ridley Scott, but I love his score to kingdom of heaven. Um, this music reminded me a lot of kingdom of heaven here and there. So, and then to top everything off a third act where you get, you finally get like the big, the duel, the action set piece that you've been building towards. And amazingly you don't in one way, you're like, I don't really care because you've both grown to like, you've, you've, grown to hate both yeah. male characters. <laughs> yeah. However, the stakes <laughs> yes. are so high and they're so earned. Like it's talk about a script developing characters and earning your action scene. And then when you finally get it, it's like you're on the edge of your seat and you're like, I don't care what happens to these two, but the outcome of this fight is vitally important. You knew what would happen to me should you lose this duel. You knew and you didn't tell me. God will not punish those who tell the truth. My fate and our child's fate will be written not by God's will, but by which old man will die of thirst. How dare you speak to me this way? What if I to lose? I begged you to find another way, and now I might be burnt alive. I am risking my life for you. Hmm. You are risking my life so you can fight your enemy and save your bride. That leads us to House of Gucci, mm. which I Oof. think is a much lesser screenplay and not a type of movie that I want to see Ridley Scott making. But that's sort of my quick synopsis. Danny, how did you feel about this one? Several years after the Battle of Waterloo, the Duke of Wellington oh, was Jesus. The Duke of Wellington <laughs> was asked about it. And he said, it was the nearest run thing you ever saw in your life. And that's what this movie was. The whole time, I'm like, is this movie good or is this movie bad? And by the end of, <laughs> and by the, end of the movie, I was like, this is a good movie. That was a good movie. That was on purpose. Yeah. But it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a close run thing of just veering back and forth between what is on purpose. Am I meant to be laughing with the movie, at the movie? Um, yeah, so not a great movie, uh, not a bad movie, a good movie. I agree. I agree, though, with your point. I don't like Ridley Scott making contemporary. I know this isn't contemporary, but for Ridley Scott, this is con- yeah. this is contemporary. Yeah, um, hey, it's his contemporary. It's his contemporary. Yeah, yeah he is. A, yeah. He's very old, everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thrillers kind of like cry- with with the, the, no- the notable exception of American Gangster. This is not a genre he excels in he doesn't i think he gets distracted a little bit by the wigs 
and the costumes and his desire to recreate things that he remembers. This, this is a time yeah. period that he lived through. Um, he is an art student. Like he, I, I think a lot of his lesser movies are kind of this type of movie that and his like political thrillers like body of lies or, I mean, even black Hawk down to a certain extent, but I think this is not the genre that he excels in. He is yeah. a great actress director, um, which I'm sure Harrison Ford never saw coming, but he is a great actress director. And I think a movie like this, um, that he shows that he gets, a, he gets almost exclusively great performances from everyone with one notable exception. This isn't one I'll revisit a lot. Um, yeah. I loved Lady Gaga in this. She was fantastic. Yeah. I, she's fantastic. I mean, I just love Lady Gaga and she was great. She's, she has quite the presence. Like she's like, Cher. I, I know she went, I know she went to Juilliard. Did she partake in acting at all? Or was it purely music? I think it was just music, but sh- she's like Cher where Cher made a bunch of movies in the eighties. She's incredible in all of them. And then just yeah. stopped acting. And I don't know why, because she was really good. And Lady Gaga, she's just a really, really... And I love that it's it's not Stephanie Germanata, it's and starring Lady Gaga. Um, she's great yeah. in this movie. This is this is definitely her... This is definitely her movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think... I don't think that's a detriment. I just... It's just not as... I just wish it was a bit more... I wish it was a bit more one way or the other good or bad but it was yeah, just kind of like right, agree. right down the line it, it absolutely this is and i think this is a perfect movie to kind of also we'll kind of go back and forth segue into ridley scott's career where like this to me feels like a movie that could have been made by almost anybody now it, it looks great and i think that's where it's like clearly a good filmmaker made this movie because of the costume design and the cinematography and the, just the overall production value and all of that. And like you said, mostly great performances too, but with the, the last duel, that was a movie that felt like everybody was on the same page. Yes. <laughs> that movie had such a perfect vision and you knew exactly what was going to happen by like the end of the third act, but it was not a detriment to the movie. It like almost made it better in a way. And this one is just all over the place. It seems like it has too many different ideas and voices. And I actually am going to give you a hot take and say, I think American gangster is very overrated. (gasps) When, when I first saw it, it was like, oh, there's all this pedigree. Like, it's Russell Crowe, it's Denzel Washington, it's Ridley Scott. Like, I saw it in a theater. And I, I that was a movie that I just felt like I had to love it. Mm. There was just too much good involved in it. And then I watched it again. I've seen it either two or three times. In the second and or third times, I th- felt it was just very shallow and just passive like it's exactly it's just the story and there's no like added element to it and this is what brings me to the point of like is ridley scott an auteur or is he a above average studio director or something in between yeah because i think 
I think that sounds a little harsh because he's he's better than that. He has made a couple remarkable films, but other than the handful of great ones, he's to me just like a director. Well, that is why I love him so much because he is he's Kubrick without the personality disorder. You know, he's, yeah, he he is he 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 doesn't have the same pretension that a lot of other directors who make similar movies to him have. He's very, he's a very confident man. The original alien's pretty good, I think. The original alien, they're all griping that they didn't know what their background was and where they came from. And I said, who gives a shit? If this thing gets out and gets near, it's gonna rip your goddamn head off and stick it up into the dark place. I said, and that's your motivation. James Franco, who's here for a quick visit. You'll see why later, I don't wanna tell you what it is. He will go off into infinity for infinity. He'll be forever in infinity. Every Monday morning, I have a board meeting. I say, page one, any problem? Page two, any problem? John Denver was kind of not my kind of music, but I understood why he was successful. And um, yeah, this beautiful purity, angelic purity, landings are always essential. How do I grow potatoes? The waterfall's real, the ramp is real. So this is all real, rocks are real, that's real. That's a real slope, that's a real view. Is it safe? I don't think so. Puff balls, we used to squeeze them and they would puff out a fine dust like pollen. And there you've got some dust like pollen. But there's an intelligence to the dust. This dust never dies, bam. Oh, you have a problem, he's dead, he's gone fundamentally gone. So she's dead, this one. The blowholes are like varying. I like that gardeners of space. The image is Kurt Cobain. A neomorph. I know exactly what I want it to look like. Of course I do. Don't want test tubes and shit. Pretty good head. That's a very, very good head. Way back when I was 14, I rode as a jockey and I was told about the horse. If you breathe into its nostril, it would literally blow back. You can't look in that, were you an idiot? But John Hurt did. And there you have it. Now you see intelligence. It's ridiculous. Yikes. This makes you think and think. You just make that shit up on the spot. Ula, some smart aleck on the test said, I knew something was going to happen. I said, yeah, of course you do, you idiot. Because if you're going to have two there, there's bound to be something happens, duh. That's just as a duh, okay? I love beavers and butthead, duh. <laughs> That's nasty. Got a floater. Cockroach, if you look at them, is quite beautiful. And they're the cleanest of the beetles, you know what? So does an alien have a family? Maybe, eventually. Girls swallow cocaine capsules and they can swallow as many as 30. And then when they go come through, they then bring them up or, you know, whatever. Can you believe it? But it came off me seeing a documentary footage of Adolf Hitler. I was surprised he was so fit. Um, which I admire. But he doesn't think he's this sort of precious genius that needs, like we've said, if the studio asks him to make cuts, he, he makes the cuts. If the studio asks him to release the movie under a certain running time, he does. And because early on he recognized, oh, DVDs, this is going to change the whole approach mm -hmm. to, to filmmaking. Um, I think any pretension or preciousness he had i think got sort of burned out of him in the 80s with blade runner and legend that kind of back-to-back -back, everything he wanted to do he couldn't really do so i think by i think he spent most of his career as you said just like a really talented studio director he, he's like 
directors we've talked about off the air, like John Frankenheimer or Franklin J. Schaffner, like these directors that do not have that auteur stamp. So they're not usually included in the lists of like great directors because they make all kinds of movies and all kinds of different genres. And they don't necessarily have like Martin Scorsese, Guillermo del Toro. It's like, I know that I'm watching a Scorsese movie. I know that I'm watching a del Toro movie or a, or a Tim Burton movie or a Michael Bay movie like Michael Bay. He's an auteur. He's a horrible, (laughs) nasty prick with a, with a, the disgusting vision of the world. But it's like, this is a Michael Bay movie. Ridley Scott, you would be completely forgiven for watching something like Body of Lies or House of Gucci or All the Money in the World and going, oh, that's the guy that did did Blade Runner? That's that's the guy that did Alien? Like, it's not, he he doesn't necessarily have the same, he doesn't have the same interests as a lot of other big, uh, unique uh, directors have. Like, it's it's yeah it's it's a very interesting case yeah and i i do want to come back to house of gucci in a bit but to stay on this point like you said the first two of the first three films he makes are alien and blade runner and then even in the 80s he also makes black rain and legend which are visually distinct but between those and gladiator it's a lot of just like movies that most people recognize for the star or whatever so like we mentioned earlier gi jane directed by Ridley Scott, even Thelma and Louise, a great film is like, I bet most people don't know Ridley Scott directed Thelma and Louise. It'd be like, Oh, the Gina Davis, Susan Sarandon movie. Like not, it's not a Ridley Scott film. Um, I think gladiator is when he reclaims that sort of aura. But then even in the two thousands, he has mass chick men and a good year and body of lies. It's like, these are just movies. Like they're not, you know, a good year, I think is the closest movie he's ever made to being like, who is Ridley Scott as a guy and who is he as a guy? Just leave me alone. I want to drink some wine (laughs) and I just don't want to be like, like that to me is probably his, his most like autobiographical movie, Mm -hmm. but he's not, he isn't interested in that stuff. Like he doesn't like 1492, the conquest of paradise. It's a movie about Christopher Columbus it has nothing really to say about Christopher Columbus. Like it doesn't make a judgment call one way or the other. It shows all the bad stuff that happened. It shows how kind of uh, maniacal Columbus was, but he doesn't really care. He doesn't care about that. He just knows that he can make the discovery of a new world from the point of view of a, of a European. He knows that he can make that like gorgeous. He knows that he can make that, an image that you'll remember even long after you forget everything else that happens in that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the thing that probably alienates sort of more. I don't know what the word is, but the kind of the people that, you know, the, the typical kind of film film bro or, or film snob of like, what does really, what is really Scott saying? He, he doesn't really have anything to say really in that Mm -hmm. sense. Like, he, who knows what he thinks about Frank Lucas? Who knows what he thinks about ancient Rome or what the Gucci's did? Like he just, he just likes making movies and he uh, yeah. is, he, he, he sees these images in his head and he just wants to share them with the world. Yeah. Like the only, the only movies he seems to passionately care about is his, is this alien franchise. And like, that seems to be the one 
story that he's like furiously interested in and sort of like, I have more to say about this and, but what he has to say about it isn't really interesting or doesn't make much sense. He, I think he's just an entertainer. Like you're saying, I think he just likes being in the business and making movies. I think he recognizes it as both a business and an art form. Yes. And that's what, you know, and that's why some of his movies are great and some aren't and yeah the alien fascination is strange that's sort of what the later part of his career has been either an alien movie or like a period piece and that that seems to be what he's focused on and the alien stuff it's a combination of yeah he loves that universe and i think that that is sort of where his bit of narcissism comes into of like i made alien and like it's my that's like the one baby he's kind of had throughout his career um that he let go of for a very long time but then he other than there were always rumors like even in the 90s of him returning to it and then he finally did and it's been subpar which is a shame but um yeah i just i i look at something like house of gucci and first of all i think I'm going to give a very common opinion of this is I think it would have been better served as a mini series of some Mm -hmm. sort, whether it's an HBO max or Netflix or something like that, because this movie has the problem of a lot of like a lot of nineties movies did this and we've kind of been going away from it, but doing too much in a two, two and a half hour movie. Like this goes through, I think decades, I believe it starts in the late seventies. Yes. Something like that. Right. So it goes through decades and I don't ever really feel enough of what are the characters motivations and who, why are we trying to screw this relative out of being in Gucci and then this one. And then now why is even Adam driver being accused of things like what is happening? This is moving way too quickly. I would have liked this fleshed out in like a six hour miniseries made by Ridley Scott or something, you know, but I think the other thing with Ridley Scott is he, when it's like kind of like a wackier tone, when it's like sensational material, this reminded me of both American gangster and all the money in the world, especially all the money in the world. Cause that just came out recently and it's like pretty similar subject matter, but you look at all the money in the world. It's a John Paul Getty story. The same year, I think, this phenomenon, there's an FX series called Trust, Mm -hmm. and that's from Danny Boyle. And Danny Boyle is not a spring chicken anymore, but he's younger than Ridley Scott. Yeah. (laughs) And he has an energy to him, like that are that's in a lot of his films, like Slumdog Millionaire, Train Spotting, that you get that like sensationalism and they're having fun with how ridiculous of a story it is. And I think the show captured that tone much more. Yeah. And then you see all the money in the world. It's just this stale, like, this is the story. I'm comparing him to Spielberg and Scorsese the most because I think those two make entertaining movies. They're prolific. They've made, they've all made, you know, about 30 movies. Uh, I think Scorsese has made the most out of those three. Yeah. Also started the earliest. So, but those two I find are, they've had their share of stinkers. They've had a few movies that are like Steven Spielberg directed always. And like, yeah. like what? Like, so they, they've both had a couple movies like that, like GI Jane or, uh, you know, matchstick men like Ridley Scott, Kundun. but those Kundun, right. Sc- written by Melissa Matheson who wrote yeah. ET, you know, there we go. There's that connection. But I think they're able to elevate bad scripts because they're create, they're more creative. 
Well, and I, I think they're better storytellers than Ridley Scott is. They are, and I think they also get a benefit of, benefit of the doubt because I think, especially with Scorsese, I think everyone goes in like, well, he doesn't make bad movies. So if I'm watching a bad movie, it can't be because it's bad. There must be a reason. It's like with the. Mm-hmm. It's like what the. They call all of Shakespeare's bad plays are called the problem plays. Not just the plays that suck. <laughs> like, no, no, oh, there's something weird about them. Like, no, Scorsese has made some bad movies, and it's because they're bad movies. But, you know, like, everyone knows what the Spielberg shot is. You know? Yes. Everyone knows what, like, the Scorsese shot is. Like, these distinctive visual, not just, like, images, but, like, the way they move the camera. What's the Ridley Scott shot? Just a shot that looks really good. You know, yeah, like he's just he just makes everything look really good. But the like or what's when he speeds up that frame rate during medieval action scenes. Yeah, there's there's that sort of thing. Yeah, he likes he has a certain way he likes to pan in on people. Sometimes the snow in his movies looks really good. But Mm -hmm. like what are his apart from the fact that everything he puts onto the on everything he um every image in his movies is, is gorgeous to look at. Like it's all great looking alien covenant is such a beautiful looking movie and it, I hate it, (laughs) but it's, but it's beautiful. Like it's, it's just like this movie looks so great. It's a shame about literally everything else in it. Um, but other than that, what are his visual markers? Like even Michael Bay has the Michael Bay shot, the, the low angle, spin the yep. camera around I can see it yeah like every, you're you're, you're yep. picturing like the tarantino the coen brothers but really scott just kind of he just makes movies he makes them look as good as they can be he shits them out and then he moves on like he's made how many he's made so many since gladiator he's he makes so many films um since gladiator he has made he has directed 16 movies okay. and that came out in 2000 and he's made 27 in total and he's been around since 1977. Yeah. So obviously he has a passion and energy. I think people like working with him. Um, he seems like he is kind of like a hilarious guy to be around. He's just one of for sure. He's like just yeah. this, this old school English, like son of a gun with his cigars and his no bullshit attitude. Like, I mean, Harrison Ford hated working on Blade Runner, but he loves Ridley Scott. So there's obviously mm-hmm. something about him that he's enjoyable to work with. Um, yeah, I mean, he he doesn't even have the sort of you know Scorsese and De Niro like he doesn't really make movies with Russell Crowe anymore. Like he he just never yep. you can't really pin him down. It's it's a very he has a very strange career. Yeah, it's a very bizarre career. Um, yeah, so I you know like I said, House of Gucci to me just represented a lot of what doesn't work with Ridley Scott, and then the last duel represented a lot of what worked. Like he has the good script in place. He has the visual scheme. He's gonna, he's gonna deliver. He has all of the right pieces, but then with house of Gucci, where I think it, I think it just needed some more, like you said, it needed to either be more bizarre or more by the book. And I don't think he does good with like, not improvisation per se, but more like a, this tone needs to be kind of organically developed because it can't really be captured in the script. And it's like some of the actors seem to have it right. Like I think Lady Gaga, I think Jeremy Irons, I think Al Pacino had like a perfect, they knew like how campy the movie should be. And Adam Driver was perfect at being like the straight guy for Mm -hmm. especially the first two thirds. But then we do have to, we have to mention Jared Leto. 
who I, I think Ridley Scott looked at Jared Leto of like, you're the, you're the wacky guy. You're the zany guy from all these, you know, suicide squad and Dallas buyers club stories. So it's like, I'm going to let you do the performance you want to do. And he went too far. Uh, the makeup was not great either. He looked like, this is a deep cut, but he looked like Kevin Smith in yoga hosers. <laughs> That's what his costume like looked like. It was like, oh my God, this, it, 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 so it was a little jarring. Um, I, I don't mind Jared Leto as much as many are starting to. I, I mind. hated him. I mind. I know you do. I know you've, <laughs> yeah. I hate him in the Suicide Squad. Oh. I think that was the beginning of the end for me. But up until then, I pretty much had always liked him in anything I saw him in. Um, but this now is like, now we're in the like, oh, you think you're eccentric and we're going to be getting these types of performances every single time you're in something. It's nauseating. He's the worst kind of method actor, just using it as an excuse to behave like an asshole. Yeah, it's like, I want all eyes on me. Like, almost like he felt this becoming Gaga's movie and he tried to, like, surpass yes. her performance in a way. It felt like, and and we were joking right before it, but every, you know, they all do Italian accents in this, but his every single clause ends with, my cheekbones! Uh, like, it, it's just... They it's all too do. Much. They all do accents in this movie. I don't know if yeah. really any of them can be described as Italian, but they all do accents. <laughs> <laughs> and his is just. I, I thought they were for they the were, most part passable. I mean, they were they were okay. The Gucci's were ridiculous people, so I think it's sort of were, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> it's like Jared Leto is doing like what I do when I'm spoofing someone doing an Italian accent. Yes, and like, I want a pizza pie. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, that is, that is his performance. Yeah. Everyone else is kind of doing, you know, Jeremy Irons is basically just Jeremy Irons, but with a little bit of a, a little <laughs> bit of, you know, a little bit of ravioli, you know, like, it's just <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's a good movie. I definitely liked it. I, I did like House of Gucci. I'm just probably not going to watch it again. Anytime soon i'm not gonna race it's, to watch it again um, oh yeah i i can't give it a strong recommendation especially for how long it is yeah um, but little, i i would never say don't watch it yeah. it's just it's very it's just okay whereas the last duel i like highly highly recommend yes maybe see house of gucci but I want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life.